Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. friends and welcome on into episode 34 of the SCO show. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be back in the big chair for today, October 30th, 2019. Halloween's tomorrow, kids. Hope you got your costumes lined up. Quick funny story. Living here in the DC area, my son decided that he wanted to go as a baseball player this year. And initially he wanted to go as Bryce Harper, which Let's just say I did a fatherly job and talked him out of because going door to door dressed as a Philadelphia Philly, Bryce Harper, probably not the move. So we talked him into Steven Strasburg and he made that decision just as the playoffs were starting. And little did we know, little did I think many expect, that the Washington Nationals, the Natinals, little Natitude, it's a throwback to some of their earlier years here in D.C., would go on this run. And so he decides to go with Steven Strasburg just as they're making their way into the World Series and things are a bit tougher to come by. Now we had the stuff ordered except the hat. And the hat somehow, thanks to Amazon, got delayed. So while most sports fans on Tuesday night were perhaps watching World Series Game 6, your boy was driving to a Dick's Sporting Goods 45 minutes north of here to get the one last remaining youth-sized Washington Nationals hat in the tri-state area, including D.C. as a state. So yeah, make sure the costumes are lined up, kids. we got a big show for you today. Taylor Kyles is going to come back, as he always does. Well, not always, but sometimes to you know, chat about what we saw last week against the Browns and take a quick peek ahead to the Ravens. Speaking of the Ravens, we're going to do some nerdy football stuff at the outset. But of course, we've got your reminders. Please do follow along with the hijinks at Mark Schofield on Twitter. Check out the work at places like InsideThePylon.com, Matt Waldman's rookie scouting portfolio, Big Blue View, Bleeding Green Nation, and Pat's Pulpit. Yes, that trio of SB Nation websites. Now, I do want to start with a bit of a throwback. I said we're doing some nerdy stuff. We're going to do that. And one of my first pieces for Pat's Pulpit when I came over, you know, last offseason was a piece titled Belichick, Iowa State, and the Future of Defensive Football. And what the main premise of this piece kind of was was a look at how the Patriots last season used a lot of what we see in the Big 12 
and what we see in the Big 12, and now we're seeing more and more college teams run, is something called a tight front. And what that really is, is especially in Iowa State's case, it's a 3-3-5 defense where the safety is a bit of what they call a joker player where he can come down and play in the box. He can fly all over the field. But then you have this 3-3-5 defense where you have the down lineman, you have a nose tackle over the center, and then you've got your two defensive tackles, usually head up or sometimes shaded either inside or outside on the tackles. That's this tight front. And even a team like Iowa State, which does this all the time, just three people down on the line, sometimes very light boxes, they've been able to slow down some air raid offenses with it because it gives you numbers against the pass. It's Again, it's a modified dime package. But if your gap sound, you can cover up the gaps in the interior, stop the run, and defend the pass. And part of the argument I made in this piece was I went into the numbers and basically said, look, we know that in terms of expected points added or however you want to look at it, throwing the ball is more valuable as an offense than running the ball. So defend the pass, but have the ability and the flexibility to stop the run. And so the main thesis of the piece was we might see more of this 3-3-5 or perhaps a 3-2-6, this tight front look in the NFL. And of course, who would be at the forefront of that but Bill Belichick? And I'm quoting from the piece here. Last year, New England played over 1,000 defensive snaps, 1,043 to be precise. From chart and data, on 159 of those plays, they employed a sub-defensive package with three down linemen arranged in some combination of that tight front with a nose tackle and then two guys head up on each tackle, which is a 505, or inside shades where you have a 4-I, a 0, and a 4-I. It's not a huge percentage of their plays, just 15% to be exact. But they did it more than just as a prevent defense. For example, in that regular season game against Kansas City back in week six, a second and goal play from the four. The Chiefs, they're at 11 personnel. So you've got a tight end, three wide receivers, and a running back, Kareem Hunt. New England comes out with a 3-3-5 defense, and they use that 4-I-0, 4-I tight front. It's second and goal from the four, and they go to this sub-package. And they have the ability, because their gap sound up front, to stop the run. Third and one in that same game, Kansas City there's a little trickery. They've got 12 personnel. And they've got Tyreek Hill in the backfield as a running back. Patriots use a 3-2-6 now. And they have a nose tackle, an inside shade on the tackle, and then somebody over the guard. It's that tight front, just a little bit different shade. But 3-2-6 on a third and one play. Kansas City runs toss to Tyreek Hill. But because of the way you can have the linebackers down on the line of scrimmage, the outside linebackers, which you often see, guys like Hightower, and in this case, Van Noy, Van Noy's on the edge. The toss is to his side of the field, and he strains him out of bounds for no gain. So you can use this tight front 
as long as you've got some athleticism at the linebacker level, as long as you have a safety that you can sometimes drop down to be an extra linebacker as well. And my genesis for this piece was thinking about how in that week five game between the Patriots and the Indianapolis Colts, you saw a lot of this 3-2-6 package, sometimes with both Hightower and Van Noy down on the line of scrimmage, and Patrick Chun as almost a middle linebacker, giving you not a 3-3-5, but when actually when you line it up, is more of a 5-1. And so Chun's flexibility plays a big role. Now, at this point, you're probably wondering, Mark, this is nice, nerdy football stuff. Why do I care? New England makes a trip down the I-95 corridor this weekend. You probably know that. And they're playing the Baltimore Ravens. And guess who used packages like this tight front against the Baltimore Ravens in the wild card last year? The Los Angeles Chargers. Matter of fact, if you look at their game from last year, if you look at the very first offensive play from scrimmage, First and 10, 14.53, Mark, what do you see? You see the Chargers in that tight front. You've got a zero-technique nose guard. You've got Joey Boso lined head up on the right tackle. And you've got the other defensive end kicked inside as a four-eye. What happens? They try to run their little zone read look. They leave Bosa unblocked. He gets inside. Strings this out. Derwin James rallies to the football. Lamar Jackson's brought down for a one-yard loss. They used it a number of times in that game to slow down the Ravens' zone read running game. Because it makes sense when you look at how these alignments up front, how the ability to put linebackers down on the edge to control the outside, account for gaps when you're trying to defend the run game, particularly the zone read running game like the Ravens run. And there's a complimentary piece that I would highly recommend from Seth Galina at SB Nation. You can go on my Twitter feed. You'll find it because I've been talking to Seth about this and some other people about how the Patriots are going to defend Baltimore this week. And Seth makes a fantastic case arguing how, look, if you look at the front's in a 4-2-5, which we so often see, you create natural bubbles to attack in the running game. With these tight fronts, linebackers down on the edge, safety flowing of the football, you don't have as many of those natural bubbles. And so it's a bit tougher for the offense. The other thing to consider is this. These tight fronts mesh much better with zone coverage. What did the Chargers do a ton of last year? Zone coverage. That's how the Patriots picked him apart in the divisional round. And if we're worried about all the man coverage the Patriots play right now and turning your back on Lamar Jackson, which, frankly, we probably should be, zone coverage is a way to defend that, to keep your eyes on him. And so there you go. Nerdy football stuff. Tight defensive fronts. The future of football from Iowa State, from Ames to Foxborough and Bill Belichick. Some zone coverage looks. 
that might be the key to slowing down Lamar Jackson. So obviously I'm going to be putting together a piece on that. You should look for that sort of an update to that piece on Pat's pulpit in the next, you know, couple of days or so, but just wanted to put that in your ear up next. Taylor Kyles will join us for some quality time that is ahead on this episode 34 of the SCO show. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And welcome back to episode 34 of the SCO Show, proudly a part of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network and brought to you, as always, by the fine folks at SB Nation. And a return guest, one of your favorites, perhaps your favorite guest of the SCO Show in this entire 34-episode run, the one and only Taylor Kyle is kind enough to join us. Taylor, buddy, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, pal. Just excited for this Ravens game. This is a big test for the Pats, but... I thought it was a good win against the Browns, so we'll see what they do against what I think is going to be their toughest test this year. Yeah, it certainly does seem like it will be their toughest test to date. And we are going to talk about the Browns game, but I did want to get your thoughts, Taylor. NFL trade deadline came and went yesterday, largely without even a whimper by the Patriots. Their only move was to move on from Mike Nugent and turn to Nick Folk as their kicker. Did that surprise you, or did you think the Patriots were just going to stay pat? I thought they were going to stand pat for the most part just because they don't have a lot of cap space to work with in the first place, you know, especially with the Sanu addition. Now, there is some element of, you know, I think they were so active. We heard reports that they were in on Eifert. Um, I think there were some people saying they were going to, they were looking at Austin Hooper. I don't think that was one of the more serious ones, but definitely Eifert. I think they were in the mix there trying to get him heavily willing to give up some compensation, but it sounded like the Bengals weren't willing to budge. I think they wanted a third round pick which just wasn't, I think, fair compensation for a player that is often injured. Not this year. They've been holding him out of practice early in the week and, you know, trying to preserve him a little bit, not really using him as a run blocker, really just as a passing guy, but still not using him in a big role. So it's hard to ask a team for a third-round pick, especially given his deal and the fact that that would have meant they had to move some money around. So I wasn't really surprised that they didn't do anything at the trade deadline. A bit happy that they did move on from Mike Nugent. You know, I never like seeing somebody lose their job, obviously, but I didn't think he was doing a great job in the role. It seemed the team really wasn't comfortable using him in positions like um, to kick long field goals. As we saw, they were really aggressive against the Browns, and while I do love seeing that, it was definitely part of it. Part of that factor was the fact that they weren't very confident in their kicker. So I'm glad that they at least can you know get some blood in there to move on, even if it is from a kicker who broke my heart in 2013 and I will absolutely never forget it on that Chris Jones penalty. I don't know if anybody else remembers, but you know, seeing that they signed Nick Folk specifically was pretty tough, but you know what, if he can produce, then I'll get over it pretty quick. I'm sure. Yeah. Not a lot of people like to be reminded of that Chris Jones penalty, which still burns me to this day, Taylor, but let's look at that Browns game. Many thought this was going to be the toughest test for the Patriots to date, especially for the defense with the talent the Browns have on that side of the ball. How do you think the Patriots did an answer in that test? Yeah, I think some of the criticism was justified. I think the Patriots offensive guys would be the first to tell you that they missed some opportunities on Sunday. 
But at the same time, this Browns defense really brought it, especially in big moments. There were a lot of times I think they really had a good understanding of how to rattle Brady in terms of taking away the people he wanted to go to. They bracketed Edelman a lot in big situations. James White, even, they double-teamed on a couple of moments where they knew, you know, if these are guys that Brady wants to go to, we're going to force him to make reads and make decisions and make throws that he's not really used to making. It doesn't prefer to make, even though, you know, it's Brady. He'll take whatever you give him. Like, even on the Dorsett long uh, pass up the sideline, that was a play where they double-teamed James White, they du- the Browns double-teamed Julian Edelman, and they forced Brady to make a low-percentage throw, and Brady just came through, you know. Sometimes um, the offense is going to take what you give them, and sometimes they succeed. And if that happens, you know, kudos to them. I think that's one thing that Belichick preaches a lot, you know, make them do something they're uncomfortable with and play with a hand tied behind their back. If they can do it, then you know what? It's the NFL. That's, that's the whole point. So um, I definitely think the Patriots had some woes and some opportunities they missed, especially on third down that were correctable mistakes, thankfully. But the Browns also did a fair share of their own really good work knowing how to take away Brady's comfort zone and put him in some tough spots and force some legitimate stops. So I think it was definitely one of their harder tests this year. And to see them come out of it, you know, with a player they just gotten into new, a little bit shorthanded um, in terms of, you know, losing Josh Gordon, who they hadn't had in the previous game, but someone who knows a quarter of the offense. Um, Brady was distributing the ball pretty well, which I like to see. So I think it was a good building block. And we're still earlier in the season, you know. This is we're just getting into the real meat of the of the Patriots schedule. So I thought this was a good performance for them in terms of seeing what they can potentially be, but plenty of things to work on as well. And speaking of things to work on, Taylor, building off of that, there's still some angst in quarters of the Patriots fan base, particularly the Scotia Slack channel, about the protection for Brady. Are you worried about pass protection, or are you chalking it up, what we saw against Cleveland, to not one, not two, but three backups playing against Cleveland? Do you look at it as the Browns got some good guys up front? What are your thoughts on pass protection right now? Well, the Browns have one of the most talented defensive lines in the league, so... I think that the fact that uh, Brady was relatively clean in the game, I know there are obviously some mishaps for sure in the pass protection, but I think we're expecting a lot from a unit that, as you said, is banged up and was playing a lot of reserves. Marshall Newhouse, for example, is a guy who gets a lot of slack, who gets a lot of um, a slack, but at the same time, he's a backup for a reason. You know, he's not necessarily a starting caliber player, but I think he's very serviceable in his role. I think he deserves a little more credit for the work that he's done. He hasn't been excellent. Definitely allowed some pressure. Um, not the best run blocker either, but I think he's doing what they expect of him. And, and uh, there's also the fact that the Patriots scheme covers up a lot of the injuries on their offense. You know, they have play action, which helps with the deep, long passes when they try to take their shots. And then the quick passes, they can fall out of Brady's hands pretty quickly. So I don't think the pass protection is a big concern, especially with guys like Isaiah Wynn coming back, Shaq Mason coming back. Um, Isaiah Wynn isn't confirmed, just want to clarify, but listen to Josh McDaniels, uh, um, conference call, it sounded like that was the direction they were trending in. So I think that the pass protection is something that you know may may not look as as great as people were expecting early in the season, but not as much of a concern. I think is you know the the mass majority of people may think it is. Now, as you might expect, Taylor, man like you is highly respected and highly regarded by the Scotia listeners and the Scotia Slack channel. They have a ton of questions for you. First up from Truck. How has the switch in defensive fronts affected the run defense? So I think we saw that with uh, Chubb's long touchdown. You know, they're playing – well, that actually wasn't really a, a case with their defense, but it was oh, – I'm sorry, in terms of their uh, blitz looks or anything like that. But they were caught in a dime defense when the, when the Browns went to 
10 personnel, which is just one running back and four wide receivers. So they were lighter. And obviously, Chubb is hard for anybody to tackle. Actually, on that play, his long uh, his long run where he was strip sacked by John Jones, he was actually he forced a missed tackle against Dante Hightower and Patrick Chung, who were two of the best tacklers, and both Cordy's. So that was just kind of a tough position to be in. But at the same time, that was just Nick Chubb. I think doing Nick Chubb. But in terms of the run defense, I don't. I think the run defense has actually done pretty well when they're in their lighter packages or when they're you know showing pressure because they understand it in some situations their offense does have the option to run the ball. Offenses, usually they kind of bring those pressure looks and everything like that out once the defense is going to, or in more passing situations. But I think the run defense, for the most part, has done pretty well with whatever front they're in. A lot of the times that we've seen them struggle have just been a product of them facing backs who know how to make lands for themselves. It's not so much that they're getting blocked and, you know, getting blown off the ball. It's more that these running backs are pressing one gap, making you think they're going to go somewhere and then actually bending it somewhere else and testing your patience. So I think the run defense has been good overall. There were a lot more plays where I think the Patriots did well defending Nick Chubb than plays where they did poorly. Obviously, things to work on every single week. But um, I think the run defense has been above average overall for sure. Had some lapses and things that, you know, they want to work on. But they faced some pretty good backs this year in Bell and Frank Gore and Nick Chubb. So when you take into account the level of competition they face with those guys, I think they've done pretty well overall. We got some more questions on the run defense. This one from John Limarakis. And building off of what you were just saying, if there are things, Taylor, that the run defense wants to fix, what are they and how do they be fixed? How are they fixed by this team? Well, I guess the biggest plays that they've given up by the run by, given up by the run defense have been ones where they miss tackles. And this is a very sound tackling defense for the most part. But even when it is, you know, the best guys. And at the same time, like when I mentioned the Chubb uh, forced tackle, forced, sorry, forced missed tackle against Dante Hightower, when Hightower went for it, not only was he pretty much chasing and had a lot of his momentum working against him, but Chubb has massive legs and they were split at the time he was making a cut, which is an extremely tough tackle to make. That's one of those where you grab onto the leg and you just hold on for dear life and got how Tytower wasn't able to do it in that instance. So I think tackling would probably be the thing I would I would say they need to work on the most. And guys like Jamie Collins, actually, he didn't have the best game. I thought there were some times where he was a little too aggressive attacking one way or didn't really know what was going on in the play, mostly in coverage. But um, just as an example, in the run defense, you can't sometimes against these great backs, you can't uh, uh, go where they're going at first. You know, you can't read too much into their initial moves. You have to stay disciplined and once they commit – that's when you pounce. But it's a lot easier said than done when you know you're watching it um, on Monday than it is when you're on the field and trying to read this real time when these guys are dangerous doing whatever they're going to do. And sort of to that point, Taylor, Chuck A wonders, do you think that quick and shifty running backs pose the biggest risk for this defense? Chubb showed that some holes can be found and exploited. Can quick action out of the backfield pose a problem? And Chuck's looking ahead to both this week in Baltimore and beyond in Kansas City. Yeah, I, I think the shifty – I'm not so sure it's shifty per se because it's not that I think they're getting juked out of their shoes. I think it's more that these are powerful runners who are just hard to tackle, period. Um, so I, I know that tackling is something that the Patriots work on every day in practice, and I'm sure that they're not proud with some of their efforts against these really good guys. I think uh, Kansas City is definitely going to present them some problems with their talented running backs. And obviously you've got guys like Lamar Jackson coming up, Ingram, who's a really tough runner who's hard to bring down. Um, so we're going to see as the weeks goes on, as the weeks go on, you know, how much can this defense do 
can they improve on those areas where they've you know not been so great in the tackling department and taking down these guys who are really hard in the open field to bring down so um i guess i'd say you know it's a work in progress but i have faith these guys are they're not new to the game they're usually sound tacklers so we'll see if they can rise to the occasion but i think that um, if there's anything that gives them problems, it's more people with really players with really good vision, who are tough runners with good balance, the ability to make guys miss, and uh, who are also strong and can not only just get out of tackles in terms of elusiveness um, and shiftiness, but also actually fight through them and power through, which is what we see from guys like Bell and Gore and Chubb. You know, they just have a really good skill set. So it's not so much the shiftiness I think as it is just guys who have the whole package and are difficult, are difficult for anybody to defend under any circumstances. Patriots might be getting some help. We've seen Isaiah Wynn and also Nikhil Harry back on the practice field. And Dave Archibald wants to know, Taylor, what are your thoughts right now on Nikhil Harry? I'm hoping he comes back soon. I'm not sure it's going to be this week per se. I think this might be a short week and a tough task after the rookie receiver against the secondary where communication is key because they do a lot of change-ups in their coverage. There's a lot of blitzes, things where the quarterback and receivers really do need to be on the same page. But if they do integrate him now and whenever they decide to do it, I expect the first game to be more quick throws, getting the ball in his hand, maybe some back shoulder fades and some deep shots because he's a very athletic player who's dominant at the catch point. He can really just snatch the ball away from most any corners. We haven't seen it at the NFL level, but he dominated in college. And I think he has the skill set to do it at this level. So um, I, I expect him to be integrated. I want to say slowly because they seem definitely have confidence in him when Belichick says he's on the right track mentally. Um, so we'll see how far he can do. And then we have to see where he's physically as well um, with his injuries that he's been battling. But um, I expect it to be a somewhat slow integration, but I definitely think they're going to want to get him involved when he is healthy enough to return. Taylor, great stuff as always. Let me get out of here on this one. And to your point just now in that Baltimore defense, what are your early thoughts on New England going down to Baltimore and taking on this Ravens team coming off a bye? I think this may be. I think this is their toughest defensive test of the season. Cleveland was very good, very talented unit. Ravens got plenty of talent. I think Marcus Peters may be someone they can look to exploit in the passing game. We saw Julian Edelman kind of spit him like a top a few times in the Super Bowl. But this is a very smart defense. A lot of savvy guys, a ton of athleticism and speed. They rallied the ball well. They show you a lot of different things. They don't just sit back in one or two looks. You know, they run the gamut. Um, so we're gonna. It's gonna be a tough task for the offense. And then for the defense, Lamar Jackson goes without saying. He's an absolute freak athlete. He's a guy where if you're chasing him, you're probably not going to get him. You know, you want to try to pin him in, so containing him is going to be huge. But also, like I said, showing up the tackling against not only him, he's hard enough, but Mark Ingram, because he's not quite as shifty as Lamar Jackson is. You know, he's not the kind of guy that's going to make someone, you know, just have their foot and cleats in the dirt one way and then their body sliding the other. But Ingram will run right through you, and he's a really, really tough guy to bring down. And then you got the speed on the outside from the receivers. A lot of tight ends on that roster, you know, they go high at that position every year. Pretty good offensive line. So this running game is one that I think is going to stress them a good amount with the diversity and all the things that Roman brings from the 49ers and San Francisco. So a lot of tests, a lot of things that I think are important to see what the Patriots can do heading deeper into the season once the playoffs come around because these are the kind of teams they're going to have to face. The Ravens are going to be there, I think, late in the season. So this is going to be a good test to see, you know, if they can. Uh, I think they're going to be fine. You know, I, I don't think that the Ravens are an opponent that they can't stay on the field with, obviously. I think the Patriots are the best team to But, you know, by that token, I also think that the Ravens present plenty of challenges that, you know, I think are going to answer a lot of questions that people may have about this Patriots team. 
Great stuff, Taylor. Can't thank you enough for coming on, folks. That will do it for episode 34 of the SCO Show. I will be back tomorrow. Doug Farrar from USA Today, the Touchdown Wire, is going to come on. He saw these Ravens in person against Seattle. He's going to share his thoughts. Until then, folks, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.